You know, it's encouraging when you um, <clears throat> see a story like that with, with Tanner sharing, you know, from the heart just how difficult it would be and when your dreams are sort of smashed and yet, you know, looking to God in the midst of it and seeing, like, God's got something even greater for him. And so I appreciate Tanner and just sharing from the heart. And, and um, I'm excited, too, just to see what God's going to continue to do in and through him as uh, he's able to use this for his greater purposes. And, and it's interesting. I, I think this ties perfectly in with the message today of people investing in people for eternity. And I think that's what Tanner's speaking um, too, and that's what I'm going to speak to as well this morning. So um, back in, in January of 2006, uh, a number of us, some of us here even today, gathered together at David and Marty Bird's house to say farewell to a, a sweet young family that we had grown to know and love. Um, it, that was Amy um, Berenger and Jason, her husband, and then they had just three little kids at the time. And um, they were precious. They're some of the first people to come to Orchard Hills once we started the church and then got really involved. Amy was just uh, like this ray of sunshine, if you remember her. Like she, she would just be smiling all the time, and she had these flushed cheeks and these big, wide eyes. And she was just so hungry to grow as a Christian. And she would go to all the different Bible studies we offered, and, and she served in women's ministry, and pretty much anything that was going on in the, on the church, she was a part of that. And that was really just invigorating. Um, she was special. And then there was Jason. Jason was a trip. Um, Jason was not a follower of Jesus, but he was a follower of Amy, all right? And so that meant he came to church, and uh, he came to church. He, he came to every event that we had at the church. He even came to a, a life group and was a part of a life group back in those days. And I love Jason because he didn't pretend to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. He was just real and raw, and he, he was... Um, an engineer. He was, he was really kind of um, inquisitive and, and a little skeptical, uh, especially about this Christian faith, because if you really get down to it, it's pretty crazy. Like, and he, he looked at us and he thought, these folks are a little nutty, but I like them. Like, like there's something about them that I enjoy. And we would hang out. He played on the basketball team. We'd go camping and hang out at parties and and um, it was interesting. One of the times, I used to go around to different life groups. We called them home groups back then and, and just sit in and see what's going on. And I went to their, their home group at, at one point, and it was at the Bird's house as well. And it was a diverse group. There were some older people there, some older, more mature Christians. And then there was some younger Christians. And then there was Jason. And uh, so Jason was a little cantankerous as well. And, and so I was sitting in there, and, and he'd ask some really tough, challenging questions, and I, I thought, this is great. And then he would drop, I don't think it was the F-bomb, but it was like something similar. Like he would purposefully cuss in there. I'm like, dude, you're doing that just to get a reaction. I can tell. He wanted to see how people would respond. Like would they still embrace him, or would they be like, you can't do that? You know, we don't talk like that around here, but everybody embraced him. And it, it was just fun to see that. And I actually, you know, that's sort of the sick side of me. I enjoyed that part of it. You know, so he, he would uh, say things like that. He, he and I would talk from time to time. And, and again, he just had all these great questions. And I felt like he is right on the verge of committing his life to Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus. But there was something holding him back. And then one Sunday, I finished the sermon, and then um, 
the, the routine that we'll probably be returning to is right after the sermon, we would have an invitation. You could come forward and receive prayer. If, if you want to accept Jesus and commit your life to him, you could do that. If you just wanted prayer for some other reason, you're free to come up. And, and this Sunday, he just got up and came forward. And my wife, Carolyn, was the prayer minister at the rail right here on my left. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he came forward and, um, you know, just bowed down and and Carolyn said, so what do you want me to pray with you for? And he said, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just felt like something moving me, telling me to get up and come forward. And this is not like Jason. And so she said, all right. And then they, they prayed together, but he didn't really commit his life to Christ at that moment. And so they both said amen and went back to their seats, and then we moved into a time of communion. But Carolyn, being the more spiritual in our family, she was in tune with what God was doing, and she just felt this tug. And she felt like, I need to go up to Jason. Like, this isn't over. And so she walked over. And so right back there, and Mr. Whoever's back there, maybe in the Selkirk's back there in your row, right, right around in there, Tanner, I think maybe even exactly where you're, you're sitting is where the Behringers were sitting. And Carolyn goes over there, and she sits down, and so... Um, here's Jason and here's Amy, and Carolyn says, Jason, I, I just have this kind of sense that you're standing on the edge of a pool, and God's saying, jump in, jump in, but there's something holding you back, and he goes, you're right, and so then they prayed together, and he accepted Christ and, and committed his life to follow Jesus. And I share this with you with his permission. I called him and I was talking to him this week because I don't want to ever, you know, share a confidence that somebody has shared with us. And he said, please, you know, share this with everybody. And um, it was so encouraging. Plus, I wanted to make sure, did I understand this right? Like, were my impressions the same as your impressions at the time? And he said, yeah, that's pretty much right. And uh, he said, you know what? At that moment, like something changed inside of me, and, and I've never been the same since. And he said, now like I'm on the other side of it, looking at those crazy people, and I'm one of those crazy people. So then go back 16 years, and now we're, we're all gathered in the, the kitchen of Dave and Marty Bird's house, and Amy begins to share, and She's got tears streaming down her, her rosy cheeks. And she said, I just want to thank you all because of the way you have invested in our lives. We will be forever changed because of our time here. And it was in that moment that all of a sudden a switch went off in my mind and I said, you know what, that's it. That's who we're supposed to be and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people who invest in people for the sake of eternity. And at that moment, we coined the phrase, people investing in people for eternity. That became our mission, our mission statement. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. Our mission is people investing in people for eternity, and our method is come, grow, go. And we'll talk more about our method in, in the weeks to come. Now, I think one of the critical pieces here is the eternity piece. People investing in people for eternity. Because most people I know, probably most of you, 
are investing your lives in other people and you're doing some good things and you're helping some people out and, and you're doing so in, in such a way that maybe it changes their, their life for a day or, or maybe for a week or a month, maybe even a year or maybe it's something so profound that you help to change somebody's life for a lifetime. But if you're not sharing Jesus, and if the people aren't hearing the hope that we have in Jesus, and they're not coming to faith in Jesus, then I think that we're really letting them down and ultimately letting God down. Because no matter what we do, no matter how many good things we do for people, if it doesn't do it with faith as a part, as an integral part of it, then it's going to pass away. As they die, so will those good deeds. People investing in people for eternity is the key. There's got to be the faith component. Otherwise, it's just a lot of good works, which are nice, but they'll all fade away. The only thing that will not fade away is faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that lasts forever. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. To do so, I want us to just take a quick walk through Mark chapter 2. And, and Mark is just recording some of the, the steps in the life of Jesus, and, and I just want us to look at three little snapshots there. If you want to turn in your church Bible and follow along, it's not going to be on the screen this time, so you can't cheat. Um, it's page 991, and it'll be fun to just look through there. And then after that, I'm going to have Steve Forbes come up and, and share just how he is invested in people for the sake of eternity as well, to give us, give us some um, firm things that we can maybe grasp and implement in our lives. So we're uh, going to begin Mark chapter 2. I'm going to use my Bible here. It's the large print version. That's why we're using it. So the first snapshot, it's entitled, if you're looking at your Bible, Jesus Heals a Paralytic. Yours probably says something similar to that. So let me give you the framework. Jesus is back in Capernaum. That's the proper way to pronounce that word, Capernaum. And they're back in Capernaum. That's sort of his home base for ministry. And uh, he's staying at somebody's house. Not sure whose house it was. It wasn't his. Maybe it was Simon Peter's house. But anyhow, word had gotten out that um, Jesus was a great teacher. And people would come from all over to just listen to him speak, and he would teach about the kingdom of God. Not only was he a great speaker, but he was known to be a healer. He was known to be a healer, and he had healed many people of diseases and, and multiple things. And so word had gotten out, and these 12 guys, they were, they were good friends. They had this buddy who was paralyzed, and they thought, you know what, maybe if we can just get our paralyzed buddy to Jesus, maybe he'll heal him. And so they, they got him on a makeshift stretcher, you know, some people call it a mat, and they picked him up and they took him to the house. But when they got to the house, the place was packed. I mean, it was shoulder to shoulder. There was no way to even make your way in to get their buddy in front of Jesus. Even looking through the windows, you know, people were there and they, they could see Jesus inside, but there was no way to get him there. But these guys would not be deterred. These are some good friends. And so they climb up on the roof. This is, I, I'd like to see this actually coming down. Imagine you got your buddy, he's paralyzed, and he's on this mat, this stretcher, and, and he's like, what are you guys doing? We're taking you to the roof. Do what? 
nope, we're going to the roof. So anyhow, they get on the roof, and then they like make this hole in the roof, and all of a sudden, so Jesus is here speaking, and you know stuff's falling on him. He's like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, he starts to see you know, light, and before he knows it, they're lowering the dude down before Jesus. And so they lower him down with some ropes, and plop, there he is. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Listen to this. So verse 5, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, those guys up there on the roof, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, probably in the front row were some really religious leaders. And they heard this, and they're like, wait a minute. Only God has the power to forgive sins. This guy's blaspheming. He's blaspheming. He's claiming to have the same power as God. Now, they didn't say it out loud. They were just thinking it to themselves. But guess what? Jesus was and is God. He knew exactly what they were thinking. And so listen to how he calls them out here. It says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they that they thus question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? Makes sense. But, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. Jesus was investing in a crowded house, in the lives of all these people for the sake of eternity, but in the midst of that, he took time out to invest in the life of one man, a paralyzed man. And, and notice, he didn't just heal him of his physical ailments. See, that's what everybody was thinking about. And that's how we tend to be today. You know, somebody's sick, somebody's hurt, somebody maybe is dying, and we, we just pray for physical healing, right? That, that's our natural tendency. And Jesus is like, you know, that's not the biggest deal here. The, the bigger deal is, is this guy needs spiritual healing. And, and so he said, you missed that. Like, that's what I gave him right off. I said, your sins are forgiven. I healed him spiritually. That's something that's going to last for eternity, right? But we tend to be looking, no, no, but you missed it. He can't walk. Did you not see that? Like, the dude can't walk. And he's like, look, just to prove to you that the son of man that I have the power to forgive sins, get up, just get up, go home. <laughs> like, take your man and go home. Like, this is not the significant piece. I'm investing in this guy's life, and I can heal him physically, but the bigger piece is that I can heal him eternally. See, it's one thing to restore his ability to walk now. I want this guy to run. I want him to run with me into eternity. I'm about people investing in people for eternity. See, that's what we're called to do. Now, that's the first snapshot. Here's the second one. 
keep reading down, you come to verse 13. Uh, my version says Jesus calls Levi. So Jesus and his, his closest disciples, he's got these 12 guys that he's hanging around with all the time. And they're walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is just a big lake. And uh, that's where Capernaum actually is. And so they're walking there, and crowds of people are, are following them. They just want to see what he's doing, listen to what he's saying. And, uh, you know, he's investing in their lives. But he comes to um, this tax collector's booth. So they would set up these booths. The tax collectors were, were Jews. They were fellow Jews, but they were hated by their fellow Jews. They were hated because they were seen as traitors. They, they were people who would extort their friends and their family members so that they could get wealthy as well, and they worked for the Roman government. And so they were like social outcasts. And Jesus comes walking along, and listen to what happens. It says, beginning in ver verse 14, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined a table in his house, so in other words, they were having dinner and they didn't sit in chairs, they just would literally recline at the table. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And, and it says, and the scribes of the Pharisees, so these are the religious leaders, when they saw that, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat? with tax collectors and sinners. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I've often thought that that last statement should be rewritten. I wonder if we slightly got that wrong. That what Jesus was saying is, look, I didn't come for the self-righteous, I, I came for the ones that knew that they're not righteous at all. See, some of us are self-righteous. We're sort of religious, and we think, I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's those people. It's you all. You're the ones that need a doctor. And he's like, no, we all need a doctor. I just came to the ones that were humble enough to recognize that. You religious people, you can't see it. And so here is, is another glimpse of Jesus investing in somebody for eternity. And it wasn't just for Levi, but all of his friends and fellow, quote-unquote, sinners. And, and I think part of his message was, look, you can keep pursuing worldly riches, what you really need is not more money. You need me. You need me. And that's what I've come to offer you, me. I offer you myself. I offer you eternity. People investing in people for eternity. And then the third snapshot is what follows. Um, if you keep reading down, get to verse 23. I was going to touch on this. It's called Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is, is walking along. And uh, so the Sabbath was a Saturday, so it started at sundown on Friday, went till sundown on Saturday. Uh, the Jewish law says that you cannot work on the Sabbath at all. And it's amazing what is considered work. And so Jesus is walking along through, 
through a wheat field, and he and his uh, disciples are right behind him, and they're following his lead, and we're not sure where they were coming from. We're not sure where they were going. I don't know what they were talking about or if they were talking at all, but it seems that as they walked, Jesus and, and then the other disciples were picking some of the heads of the grain and, and eating them. And some of those religious fellows, those Pharisees, they saw what was going on, and then there was a confrontation, and they started to argue about the rules of the Sabbath. And I don't want to get into all of that today. This is what I want us to see, that as Jesus went about his, his daily life, as he walked through the grain fields, those other guys, they just followed, because that's what disciples do. They follow the leader. And what we know about these disciples, these 12 guys, they were just ordinary men. I mean, to be honest, there was nothing incredibly special about them. They weren't highly successful in the business world. They weren't incredibly wealthy or influential at all. They were just men who were committed to investing their life in Jesus because Jesus was committed to investing his life in them. And here's the amazing thing, that Jesus was only with those, three, or those 12 guys for three years. Imagine just three short years that he invested heavily into their lives, that he, he didn't just teach them in a classroom or teach them in a church setting. He taught them. He invested in them in homes. He invested them as they walked along the road, as they walked through fields, as they rode in boats. He invested in them, and then he entrusted them with his ministry. And these 12 guys, just ordinary average guys, began after Jesus' death, after he was physically gone, but present in the Spirit, because when Jesus left physically, he also deposited his Spirit within them, that these guys continue to be people who invested in people for the sake of eternity. And do you know, the world was forever changed. The reason we're sitting here today and talking about these things are because those 12 followed Jesus' example and continued to invest in people for the sake of eternity. And we have a similar calling as well. Because if we do that, then hopefully in the years and the decades and the centuries to come, people will be sitting in places like this and going through their lives, walking down the road, hanging out with one another, and investing in their lives and others, not just to do good, but for the sake of eternity. And so those are three quick snapshots of Jesus' life. There's so many more, so read through Mark, read through Matthew, read through Luke, read through John. You'll get plenty of snapshots about what it looks like, at least from Jesus' perspective, to invest in people for the sake of eternity. Now, I want to bring Steve Forbes up to share a little bit. Steve, as you're coming, I'm going to grab you a seat. We're going to make this like an interview. We're going to look very professional. That's your seat. It's the broken one. I'll take this one, the not broken one. And uh, 
Yeah. All right, we're good. Hey, let me ask you, first of all, Steve and I have known each other for around 18 years now, and uh, it's been a privilege knowing you, Steve. You've invested in my life heavily. You've invested in um, my family's life. You all right there? Yeah. I told you you got the broken chair. And uh, I've seen you do an incredible job of investing in your family's life. I've seen you invest in your church family's life, whether it's um, one-on-one or in groups, as an elder, as a Sunday school teacher. I've seen you invest in the community through, the, through your job, through the ministry of Capernaum, through the Achievement Center that we have here. Maybe begin by just giving us a quick Look, what, what is a week in the life of Steve Forbes look like? How do you spend your time, or how do you invest your time? So maybe start with a Sunday. What does that look like? Well, the days of the week, I would start with, um, well, Sunday. A lot of times, um, I don't always teach Sunday school, but I, I'm on call to do that. Love that. Um, Monday, uh, usually there's the leadership or elders that we'll be meeting throughout the month. Uh, Tuesday, I meet with a small group of middle schoolers on Tuesday morning. Wednesday, there's life group uh, that I meet with. Thursday, it's alternating achievement center or uh, meeting with the Capernaum Young Life Group. Friday, I meet one-on-one with Sam Belcher. um, And then Saturday, I reconnect with my wife. That's, That's a good move. Do you work at all? I do work. Occasionally, yeah. Oh, that's good. Somehow you got to pay the bills, I would assume. But you're sort of in that semi-retired phase now, which is nice. But um, So that's how, how Steve spends his week, which is a little exhausting for most of us, I think. You're like, wow, like that's a lot of investing in other people. Give us, because of time, three quick snapshots. Since I gave Jesus three, I'm going to give you three, Steve. And you get to share three quick snapshots of how you have invested in people. So give us, like, maybe three highlights. Okay, investing in lives for me is a lot different than it was when I first began. When I became a believer, I just knew that uh, two things. Uh, I needed to love God, and I needed to love others. And I, and I loved others through investing in them. Um, and I began doing that right away. I did that with individuals. I did that with, uh, well, a middle school uh, you know, group at church and uh, leading them. And I really enjoyed that. But what I found, which was really surprising, is, is I began to get really weary from doing it. I mean, I became exhausted. And, uh, and I began to lose the passion for it the longer I did it. And I thought, is ministry really supposed to be like that? Um, that's when I learned the first lesson from God in investing in people. And it was that I needed to allow him to just select the people. I know our primary focus is to be on our family, in in our home, investing in our spouse if we have one, investing in our kids, and I did that. But then he began to, and this is the way he would do it for me, he began to just put those people or those groups in my mind, and I couldn't get them out of my mind. And he began to do that at my work. Um, And I would work with him 45 to 50 hours a week, there for years, but I still couldn't continue to, you know, to think about them after work. And so I began to do that at work, and there's a lot of stories, but there was one girl, Linda, and she was a really hard employee. I mean, she was the, the kind of girl... Tell that, us what you did. What was your profession? What is your I, I'm profession? a pharmacist, and Linda is... Um, so you're a drug dealer. Yeah, yeah. 
and Linda knew that. Linda was a really hard girl. She, um, she was the kind of girl that used to love to chew up bubble gum in, in high school and, and smack it in the hair of the most popular girl in school. She was in and out of the court system, and Linda worked at the front of the store, and I was at the back, and then she wanted to, to work in the pharmacy. And it wasn't until years later she said, you know why I wanted to do that? Because your pupils were dilated a lot of the time, and, and you had an unusual happiness about you. I knew that you probably weren't just dispensing pills. You were probably taking pills. <laughs> and you know, the, the first couple of years with Linda, well, even the whole staff, they didn't want to hear anything about discussion of spiritual things. And they even made, made fun of me, but regardless of that, I continued to care for them. In our last 10 years together, uh, Linda in particular, except for the times we had to talk about work-related things, that's all Linda wanted to talk about. She wanted to know more and more about what Jesus was like. Um, it had been years since I worked with Linda, but um, we just had her and her family out at our house last Thursday, and, and, uh, and she is more in love with the Lord now than ever. And her son and her husband uh, deeply love the Lord and really committed to him. Now, sometimes I think we're actually, you know, given a love for a person or a group. And I've always had that with people with disabilities. I mean, my whole life, but I never knew how to use that. I never used it in a career. Um, and then when Young Life Capernaum came to Botetai, that just seemed to be a natural fit. I just loved it, loved those kids. Uh, but there was one in particular I began to really invest in. His name is Zach. And Zach, uh, we would meet together a lot, and I would just tell him, this is what it's like to have a life with Jesus. And then one day, he called, and he was so excited, I couldn't even understand anything he was saying. He was so excited. And so his mother got on the phone. Carolyn McLucas had just had a talk that week in Capernaum about uh, your heart and how uh, you need a new heart. And uh, Zach's mother got on the phone and said, what he's trying to tell you, he is so excited that he spoke to God last night, and he said, God, you need to take my diseased heart. I really want you to take my, my broken heart. And he said, God said, okay. And she said it was minutes later that, uh, that then God said, and here's Zach, I want you to have a new heart. Zach was so excited about that, he went and he told everybody he knew for, for months, over and over, about this experience that he had had. It was two summers later, we were at Capernaum camp. Zach had the bunk below me, and every night when the lights would go out, he began to whisper, and then he began to softly talk, and, and I would tell him he needed to be quiet. People were trying to go to sleep. And it was the third night he began to do that, and he began to talk, and and I finally got exasperated, and I looked down, and I said, Zach, you are going to have to be quiet. There's people that are really trying to get to sleep. It was late. And Zach, I just remember him looking at me, and he had this big smile on his face, and he said, Steve, did you hear me? I was talking to God. And Zach has a real relationship with God, and it's been exciting investing in his life. And sometimes, you know, it happens to you as kind of a surprise, um, if anyone were to ask me, what age group do you feel most comfortable with? I mean, in investing, wh- who do you really love? And I would say, well, really, the kind of the preschool through the middle school years. 
And so it seemed to be a natural fit that, um, that I would really love uh, the Orchard Hills achievement when Lisa Miles started that here at the church. Uh, but I resisted it. I really didn't want to be a part of it. And uh, I think I was just involved with a lot of things at the time. And, but God kept putting me the idea of these kids in the Hollands Park, which was where they're primarily from, in my mind. And I finally couldn't resist it any longer. And so I actually showed up and, and began to teach after school and, and just loved it, loved these kids. And that's when I learned the second lesson that God told me about investing. And that was, you know, we always think, we hope that we're in kind of indispensable in whatever we do, right? In our jobs, <clears throat> in, in, you know, whatever we're involved with. But we know we're dispensable. But God showed me that you really are, it's different with investing. You really are indispensable when he has selected you and he's placed you in a ministry investing in someone. And I felt indispensable in that ministry, and I still do. When I let those kids off at the, at the mobile home park in Hollands, um, <clears throat> I really feel an incredible love for these kids. It ha- I haven't grown weary. It's even become more passionate. Uh, and it's more than I'm capable of even loving, which kind of surprises me. Uh, it, it's an exciting thing to know that God's love is actually coursing through you and into the lives of those people that you're, you're actually with. Now, when these kids begin to graduate out and age out of, uh, you know, the Achievement Center, my heart really began to ache for these kids because I wasn't around them any longer. And that's why this year, you know, I started to have a small group of these middle schoolers, and we meet... Uh, in the morning before school and have breakfast and spend some time talking about the Lord. Uh, You know, a lot of ministries, uh, it's really interesting, they're not always easy. I mean, sometimes they are really frustrating. But I want to tell you about one-on-ones. If you've never done that before, don't ever forsake being in a one-on-one with someone else. I'm on one-on-one uh, investing with uh, Sam, Sam Belcher. Many of you know him through the church here. Um, love meeting with Sam. And, you know, it's, it's not always easy. I don't like getting up at 5.30 on Friday morning. I mean, I don't enjoy making breakfast that early in the morning. But even before Sam leaves that morning, I can't imagine not meeting with him. And I think that's the way it is with all these ministries. You know, as the months pass by, as the years go by, I can't imagine not being a part of those ministries. Yeah, I love, you know, it's not even a formal ministry, right? Like most of those are just relationships that you've developed over the years, and you've taken the time, you've made the time to invest in those lives, and you're making a difference for eternity. So I really appreciate that, Steve. Appreciate Steve giving him a little hand as a... uh, I feel like you got four stories in there, and Jesus only got three. But um, more power to you, Steve. Hey, here's, here's the thing. Here, here's my question for you. So imagine if I ask one of you all right now, or imagine that I ask every one of you right now, and I want you one by one to come up here. And, and I want, to, want you to share three snapshots of just how you've invested in somebody for the sake of eternity. What would be going through your mind? 
Would you be like Steve trying to figure out, and how do I narrow it down to three? Like, like which three am I going to share with the crowd? Or would you be sitting there going, oh my gosh, I'm not even sure that I have one. Like, what would I share? What examples do I have of where I have invested in other people with eternity in mind? I think we're called to be people who invest in people, not just for good works and good things, but for the sake of eternity. Because that's the only thing that is going to last and ultimately make a difference. So it's a new beginning. It's a new year. I, I want you to really consider who are you going to invest in this year for the sake of eternity? And don't get overwhelmed. Like right now, some of your hearts are beating really fast, and you're like, I don't even know where to begin. Let me just share with you. This may be redundant to some. We've got these cards. On one side, it says Frank List. The other side, it says Bless. If you go down the hallway and just look to your left, you can pick up one of these cards, and you make a list and write down a name or two of friends that maybe God's put on your heart, of relatives, acquaintances. See how it's going? F-R-A, neighbors, and coworkers. C. And just maybe write down some names. And then bless them. Just seek to bless them. Begin with prayer, so start praying for them. L, listen with care. Actually, ask them some questions. Get to know them. What are they interested in? What do they think about things? E, eat together, because eating together, that's where relationships are typically um, really strengthened. Um, S, serve them. And then the final S is share your story and ultimately God's story. See, that's what makes it a way that we invest in people for the sake of eternity. That should be our motivation. So maybe begin there, and then hopefully next year, this time, we can gather together, and if I were to say, all right, raise your hand if you've, you've got a story you want to tell of somebody that you invested in for the sake of eternity this, this year, and, and you guys are all like scurrying to get up here because you are so excited to share your story. Because I'm telling you, if we will be intentional and if we will really do this, this is an investment that's going to pay dividends, not just for our lifetime, but forevermore. The joy that will come will last for all of eternity. The lives that will have been changed and impacted will last for eternity. Who is God calling you to invest in for the sake of eternity? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much. Um, thank you for Steve. Lord, I thank you that he's a great example that, that we can follow. He's made tough decisions about how he's going to invest his time and who he's going to invest it in. But I thank you that he's always done it with, with, well, maybe not always, but most of the time he's done it with eternity in mind, whether he's at work or you know, with his family or, or a formal ministry of some kind or, or just investing in, in some sweet children's lives. Lord, I thank you that, that that investment's really paying off and we've seen the fruit of it. I've experienced the fruit of it as well. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just touch our hearts, that you would tug on us and show us who we're to invest in, when we're to invest in them. And, and just that, that would be our identity, that we would truly see our mission as people who invest in people for eternity. We ask it all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.